uh, another colleague of ours. He, uh, That's a party name. Oh yeah. my God! You have to meet this guy. He was, a, he was a character. I don't feel like you can hang around Chris without being a character. <laughs> yeah, there'll be drinking involved. <laughs> Just saying. Would you say I was I was a bully, Shashi? I bully into uh, going drinking. See, these guys were like right off the college, and he's not going to say no to their director manager. <laughs> so he would say it like three, four times. He was gonna say no, but it just yeah. didn't work. In fact, he did but, but, say no. See, here is the thing, right? So, what, what Chris and, and this is not being recorded, right, Chris? Yeah, of course. Okay, it is. So, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, no. So, he, uh, Chris took uh, this guy for uh, drinking, and they were drinking really, really late at night. Next morning, doesn't show up. Chris is there right eight o'clock for a client meeting. And it's like coming, it was in Philly. At 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, he's coming out and we are saying, where is this guy? Where is this guy? Oh, my God. But, the, but Chris is there at 8 o'clock. <laughs> so the point, the less, lessons learned is, my advice is, it's not a problem to go out if you're Chris. Because he can be out until 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, still show up at 8. Uh, because that's what experience is all about. That was the real, uh, what do you call it, onboarding or mentoring from Chris to all those kids. He would never, Chris would never eat. Chris, Chris would never eat. He would straight away go to drinking. Voted most likely to have his check liver that light was, That was like, you know, I was... Uh, wow. How can, how can he pull all this thing off? And Chris had a group which will go until 12, then some until 1, and then some until 2, and then Chris alone until 3 or 4. I don't know. Nobody, nobody saw Chris getting into his room. Here's a problem. That uh, Jameson is hitting my cheeks already, so I've got the, <laughs> I got the cheery. All looks cheery here. Chris Lockhart, welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. This is our special um, annual edition where we have sort of a Christmas show, Christmas theme. Um, I'm joined by uh, Bill Bensing, Phil Yanoff, and Shashi Shramali. Um, and and um, actually, you're going to have to, for the camera to move to you guys, you're going to actually have to say something or make a noise. Bill, can you say hi? Show everyone your sweater. Hi, everybody. What, oh, you got to show us the sweater, man. Can you see, see the sweater? Have a meowy catness. Oh, excellent, excellent. Catness. That's pretty. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Shashi, what what do you got going on? What's your What's your? I come in a package. If you can see in my background. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you've got like multiple. You got a elf on the shelf. All right. Good stuff. Phil yeah. Yanoff. Phil Yanoff. What do you got going on? Oh yeah. So um, you know, here's the thing. Pretty proud of this. Uh, my bride got me this. The uh, Baby Yoda, all digging that. What child is this? Uh, we're all looking for Baby Yoda this time of year. He is the meaning of the season. Good. You're gonna you're gonna bear gifts for Baby Yoda. Okay. It's a you know it's a, the Mandalorian. You know, beware of Mandalorian bearing gifts. No, that's not right. It's got to be something. Right, right. All right. So, well, you know, this is our second. You know, I'm kind of you know interested in this. This is our second Christmas special. So, you know, it's kind of 
kind of exciting. And I think last year we, we spent uh, a lot of time, like sort of a year in review, right, kind of thing. I think what we want to do this year is actually share some practical advice and practical knowledge of things that we've learned this year that might actually help other people that are, are out there. And, you know, maybe there are some things that didn't go so well that we might want to talk about that might also help some folks, but then also thinking through, you know, what are we looking forward to in 2020 um, and, and maybe share some of, uh, some of that with folks as well. So hopefully you guys uh, like this episode. Um, you know, I'm going to actually, Bill, I'm going to flip to you first, because when we were talking about this earlier, you had a pretty uh, clear idea of sort of some lessons learned in, in your case this year. Yeah. So uh, this year I launched a product called Clatch. It's a Spotify for experiences at the end of the day. And I was going through trying to find product market fit and I found product market fit. But the problem was the product market fit was there, but the, the market founder fit, I didn't really want to go through it, um, which is funny because Clatch is something I wanted to build and have people use and me be this little marketplace. Well, what I found is other people like um, cities, uh, vacation destinations, um, and there's a couple other use cases, I actually just wanted to subscribe to the platform and white label it. And I didn't want to white label it. Um, it, was, it was very distraught over this for about a couple months because I didn't know what to do with it, which was funny because I've never been in an area where it's successful, but yet at the same point in time, you don't feel successful. Um, so that's been my big learning or my, my, my conundrum this year, trying to figure out how to, how to pursue that. Um, it may sound weird to some folks, but you get into a spot where it's like, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's beneficial to go after it. You can make money off it, but is that really how you want to spend the next five to seven years? And uh, looking at a lot of you know, early stage products, it takes five to seven years just to get scale some of that stuff out. So um, I'm right now trying to figure that one out and pretty uh, distraught about it. That's interesting. Like, what's, so what's your takeaway from that? Did you, is it, you didn't do enough upfront research or like what? I don't, I don't think it was enough for research. What I was doing was uh, I was, I was discovering the market at the end of the day. Um, I just was, this was not a discovery I expected. Um, not that I was sort of trying to confirm a bias I had. Um, I try to make sure I don't ha try to confirm my own biases. Um, but this just actually wasn't something I expected. And frankly, I didn't expect myself to react this way. And I think part of it was, I was so invested. I built this, you know, this beautiful little kid. Um, at the end of the day, um, it was an equivalent of calling the kid ugly. Um, and it was just because it's like, well, I don't want your kid that way. I like it this other way. Um, and I don't have children, by the way, so I don't know what it's like to have ugly children. Um, neither do my parents. So. Are, you, are, you, are you sure? Oh. No, no, no. You may not have kids which you are aware of. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't need to explain the joke, Shashi. I think we got that one. So, hey, so here's the thing I want to know about that, Bill. Um, how'd you get to the point where you decided this wasn't for you? I mean, you kind of gave us some of the steps, but I mean, you know, it's super easy during these discovery phases to become emotionally engaged with something we're working on, you know, particularly when we're small and we're really aimed at something. I mean, how do you get to the idea to say, no, this is not really for me? You know, it, it occurred to me, I sat down and I was starting to write a subscription contract for an organization to white label it. And I was going through putting it together. That's where it sort of hit me. That's when I was like, you know what, this isn't, this is actually what I'll be doing for the next five to seven years. And this doesn't seem to interest me, you know, doing these subscription models. Um, I think that's where it hit me was when I was doing that. Um, was that. Was that sort of the answer you're looking for? No, no, I think it is. The thing is, I, I think a lot of people get to the test and a lot of us are 
afraid to throw out something we've spent some time on, or we just don't know when to say no to something, right? So, I, I mean, and I didn't hear you say it this way, but, you know, there's a lot of times where I find myself thinking, okay, is this thing I'm doing just bridging me through the day and that's okay? Or is this what the business is going to be going forward? And will I be happy if I'm doing this for five years? You know, and if the answer is, I don't see myself doing this for five years, or this is just horrible work and there's nobody I can delegate it to, uh, or, you know, there's no way to like offload this particular part of it, this is actually the core of it, then that's a great time to say, all right, I got to pivot this somehow. And I, I might be pivoting it to something else. I may have to force fit it someplace else. But if none of that is possible, then it's just time to say, move on. So I have a related question. So in the, how long you have been in the search of thing which you, which you would like to do over the next five, seven, 10 years? How long? I guess ever since I started thinking about what's my what's my five or ten year plan. Yeah. So so question would be. It was in this dark so place. You, and it was really nice, and then yeah. bang, the lights come on, and he's cold, and he's so screaming. Here is, and here is what. Ever since then, he's wanting to know how do I get out of here. Uh, do you know what you really want? Because if you haven't found it in last whatever five ten years you have been doing, and I'm playing playing devil's advocate, um, how do you know this is not the thing for you? Oh, wise one. So, yes, yeah, strategically, I, I, I think this comes down to strategic tactics and execution at the end of the day. So I have a strategy. Um, the question is, was this a tactic to, um, to achieve my strategy? And I think through the learning lessons and sort of where Phil is coming through this, um, I learned that this wasn't the, this wasn't the tactic that I uh, wanted to take to achieve my strategy. Um, there was a different way I could pivot and I could take advantage of the asset that I built but it's not where I'd want to spend my next five years because there's all other, there were alternative options um, to how I could spend my next five years. And this just wasn't at the top of the list. So, so you have a, you have a framework where you get, you, you first step in the framework would be you have a hundred of ideas, probably 10 makes it out of 10, a few are of interest. You take it to the next stage at that st gates, uh, stage gate, you decide you want to move it forward till you actually find something. And as of now, not a single idea has reached to the stage where you can continue it for the next five to seven years. No, yeah, the next, this one's not five to seven years. Working on a couple other ones, but yeah, not this one. Correct. Okay. Yeah, correct. So you are in the dating phase still, and uh, you are still dating two, three at the same time. Did you get married to one idea? Yeah, right now we're going through a, it's a it's a it's a pretty good divorce. I mean, we're we're both going to make money <laughs> yeah. off it at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, once we go around separate ways, I've definitely got some very beautiful um, technology that I'm going after. If I could date something for 18 months to make about a million dollars off of it, why don't I just do that for every 18 months? Why do I need a seven-year plan, right? Yes, it's exactly. my seven-year plan, right? So I would, never, I would never ask this question, but my good friend Chris wants to know how long away you want to bang away at something before you decide it's not for you. Yes. Oh, man, I don't know. Yep. That, that's a very subjective answer. Yeah. Phil, bang away at something. Really? Yeah. What are you, hey, what are you drinking over there? What are you, oh. yeah. Nice. He just got locarted. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a product placement, but this is Trader Joe's Vintage Ale, which I, I, I find delicious and fantastic at this time of year. What do you got? It's re I'm going to tell you, A, I love that Trader Joe Vintage Ale. What I happen to have is my favorite beer in the world for a couple of reasons. This is the Lindemann's Framboise Lambic. So it's a Belgian style beer. And I love this beer a lot, but I, I love this particular bottle even more 
because uh, someone showed up at one of our Tech After Fives with this as a host gift. And just said, we love what you're doing. I'd like to just give you this as a gift. So it was super nice. That's awesome. And it was all based on a previous conversation we'd had at Tech After Five, where I explained, this is my favorite beer in the world. Everyone should say something like it's it's this particular bottle is your favorite because it happens to be right here in front of you at the the well there's that and and it was free so it it appeals to lots of things to me all right so listen i think you know bill that's um you know that's not an easy thing to to talk about right like when to quit yeah all this blood and and sweat and tears into something and it's not what you thought it was going to be. It's not that it was a failure. It just wasn't something that you were passionate about exploring, which I think is a fascinating thing. And by the way, I think that probably happens a lot more frequently than people really let on, right? Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, so, well, I, you know, one of the things I think in that, Chris, is that we have to be for a project like that, you know, and I ask people a lot of times and they say, well, how do I decide among the things I am going to do? I'd say, well, what, you know, and I didn't, I don't do the five-year thing. I say, what could you see yourself doing for 20 years, right? And then I think the other piece of this is that we come to this a lot is that you have to be happy or delighted, not only with the end result, but with the work required to get to the end result. And if you can't be happy with both of those elements, then that might not be the thing for you, right? I mean, see if you can get better fit. You know, it's exactly like Bill said, it was founder fit, right? It's like, it wasn't that this was bad work. It wasn't that it was dishonorable in some way. It just wasn't a good fit for his temperament at this time. So go do something else. No, I, you know, I like, I kind of like where Shashi was going, right, on this thing of like, you know, if I, if Bill can whip up something, sell it for whatever, and then move on to the next thing and just kind of serially do that yeah. over time, is, 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 is that as an effective, um, an approach as having like this, an, an ultimate plan? Shashi, you got, you got more on this? Well, by the way, what was your highlight of the year? Yeah, there is some highlight, which I don't want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for that. Next. Uh, <laughs> but, no, but, uh, but uh, where I was going with this is, you know, Take an idea, if, if you don't look at five or seven years, but at least take it to a level where you can hand it over to someone, you can have stake in that idea, somebody else can be executing it. Well, some people are married to the product and uh, you know the work they love. Some people, see, when they see the product market fit, they just want to rake in money. Um, so you might want to give it to someone who is like motivated to do that stuff. Uh, and then you get some passive benefit out of it, which will continue to fund and fuel your uh, you know, your own love. So I would call it, this was an attraction for you, not true love. Other true love opportunities, what you have can be funded through this. Have your 10%, 20% stake, give this idea to someone, let them take it to completion with energy and they are not married to the product. Their idea is to raise some funds, sell it to someone. Just do it. I always like taking it to completion with energy, Josh. Yes. So there were uh, two interesting things. One was within the company, an event going on, another with the client organization. Um, they are undergoing a major turnaround. What I've realized is uh, when you are not, you can see certain things happening within either your organization or client's organization, but you do not have enough clout or authority um, to influence that change or stop something from happening. Because in the corporate hierarchy, you are at a, such, a, you know, such a level where nobody's going to listen to you. And you know how to fix it, but you just can't make it happen. So the turnaround doesn't happen. So right now, my own company is going through a major turnaround situation. Um, and the way they are structuring is, uh, and I have like very clear idea of uh, you know, how 
could be but i can't find a channel through which i can communicate that um is just sheer frustration then at that point in time sometimes you feel that why am i working in an environment where i cannot influence the change and make things right so i'm type of person who is either fully in or fully out uh, i cannot be in the gray area where i do my 9 to 6 work so i get emotionally involved same thing happens with my firm as well currently um people seem to agree in and around i validated the ideas but nobody is willing to take it to the next level and i don't have access to um the leadership which can make it happen yeah. can i ask a question about that shashi sure. and i only sure. ask this for you in particular because i always feel like you're a practical voice among this group of the four of us i mean you're frequently saying oh wait a second isn't that the job just show up and do your job um but it sounds like when you're talking about what you're doing is that you are getting significance out of what you're doing right that is it, the job it's not just enough to do the job no. you want something that gives you significance as a human being and i'm kind of right. curious about only because you're always telling us this stuff and i feel like again you're really practical in this space you know what are your tools or techniques for saying look some days i find myself doing work i just don't enjoy but i feel like i need to do it i mean how do you get yourself back motivated to get the job done so it's an interesting question when i think about it uh, if i'm doing something i'll find a way to enjoy that so it's not that a particular type of work excites me per se if i take on something i'll figure out a way to enjoy myself in that and i get so involved it's not about the thing it's about the process which gives me the kick eventually so that that's how i keep myself motivated even if i'm doing like you know regular work which probably is not sexy enough uh but i get involved so deep that that becomes my own problem and i want to take it to the finish line uh, taking ownership of things and driving it to completion i don't think about the subject and the topic whether i'm enjoying or not no i i yeah. don't so what's your strategy for in this spot then what's your strategy for getting yourself back in the spot of saying i'm i'm happy with what's going on no i mean so i am trying i am still trying i have not given up i'm still sure. trying but i don't think it's going to go that far i will accept the way it is and then i have to decide for myself how i how i want to proceed and i'll shut everything out get so what happens is when i'm on a project then all these other outside you know organization thing doesn't matter to me so it becomes more between me and my client that's an easier thing to solve women time on let's say bench or you know doing proposal work and other stuff then i start thinking about this broader organizational stuff so once i'm in i'll get myself sucked into a project and then i will not even worry about all this so so right. so that's how i keep myself away from all this so that's almost like what we talk about as a flow state right get it becoming yourself in a flow state with a project is saying right. look i need for this thing to overwhelm either the voice of my critic of myself or the work yeah. I need it to overwhelm it enough so that I can simply enjoy doing the work. It's, I'm going to be busy enough that I don't have time to complain to myself or others about it. The um the, the piece about this that I, I think is interesting, and you know we've we've talked before um, about you know the the risks of of going native, right? Meaning like uh, I'm so embedded at my client, I'm so concerned about their problem, I've owned the thing as my own. I may as well, I may as well be part of their organization, right? In other words, I'm I'm I, and I've I've experienced this to some degree over over time as well, where you are so committed in some area and you are uh, sleeves up, right? You're in there, you're doing whatever, month after month. Sometimes it goes on um, 
for years, right, at particular clients, and you're on an island. It's almost as if you don't work for the consulting company that, yeah. that, that is paying you, right? Um, it's almost as if you're working specifically at the client. And I think, you know, there, you know maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe you want to work at the client. Maybe it's yeah. a, a platform to become an employee of that client, perhaps, yeah. right? But I think it could be a danger also if your interest is really in doing consulting work. And, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you get yourself off the island and get connected back to your organization and the people that, that you work with, right? Um, yeah. Well, I think that's a very, very uh, good observation. And I think uh, I have gotten used to it going in and going out. So coming out, going in, coming out. So we do it multiple times in a year when I go in, I do my project for three, four months. And when I'm out, then I'm totally disconnected. It's just that when I'm in, then I'm fully in. So I think I have mastered that uh, whole concept which you just explained. There is always a danger. So longer you stay there, right, more involved you will be. So if I'm there for six months, that's good. If I'm there for one year, then that's, uh, you know, eventually one year, one and a half years, two years. That's why I try to avoid long-term association with that. That leads to major uh, frustration. If I'm there for six months, I give my best. If it works out great, if it doesn't, go and have fun. Client can take care of themselves. I'm out to some other client. Otherwise, that is the exact reason I get so involved. If I'm in an, uh, let's say, industry uh, within a particular client as a full-time employee, I cannot sustain that kind of uh, stupidity for a very long duration. I cannot. I can do it for six months. If you don't listen, I'm, to, I'm going to try 10 times. But if I, if I can't do it 10 times, then at least I have an exit. I have an exit. I would go out and do, you know, work with some other client. So like, I, I see this conversation with your client, like, all right, listen up client. You've already hit my stupid meter. I'm out of here. <laughs> I was going to say, what level of stupidity is acceptable, Shashi? I mean, it's, it's, uh, you can call it organizational politics, you know, organizational constraint. In a very nicer way, you can call it organizational constraint. But it is at, at some point in time, if people are agreeing to you around you, and even the leaders cannot make or influence that change, then I call at that time stupidity. And it's fine. I mean, it's not negative to be stupid. Trust me. I mean, I, I call it a rate change. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've been, I've, I've been at clients um, where, you know, they bring on someone new as an employee and you as the consultant, as the trusted advisor, they're coming to you. They're an employee, but they're coming to you to get the lay of the land because you've been there for years. Yeah. Right. Like you know more about the organization than a lot of the people that work there. Right. And that's an interesting reality to, to be in, right? Because right. on the one hand, that's very powerful knowledge to have. I know so much about this organization that I know how this organization works. Yeah. And if I want, if you want X done, this is the person to go talk to. It's not yeah. this person, that sort right. of stuff. Um, but you know, it's like, how do you extract yourself from that? Right. Cause yeah. I feel like you could lose your identity. There's this bit we've talked about a lot before about a lot of these, a lot of these, success stories around um, client delivery come down to your personal relationship in some cases with a particular group of clients at a, at a, at a client, at a, at a, you know, a large company. And so I think for me, right, it's like, I, I, I like building those relationships um, because I feel like I'm trusted when I, when I say something or when I, I have an approach. And so I, in a way I'm, I'm okay with going native to a certain degree, right? Yeah. As long as Go I can on. myself back out. It's like, it's getting, it's like getting near the event horizon in a black hole. And then like, you know, 
you turn on the warp drive and you can like get just you know pull yourself back from that um that's kind of where that's kind of where i sit and you know people who, who know me know you know right now the client i'm talking about i'm, I'm entering year three at this client right and that's oh. like, that is a long time yeah i mean i always go native so that's the way to build that not only relationship um that earning the tag of a trusted advisor so going native i think is phenomenal uh, but at the same time you need to master the art of coming out uh, when it's required uh, i don't know if i would ever go year 3 with the same client the primary reason i am at uh, in consulting is that in 3 years at a client if i'm doing the same work uh, i rather be doing eight projects in 3 years or at least six projects in 3 years like i work for three different companies or six different companies yeah and i, I should i should point out right there they have been i think it's different projects four different projects right yeah. Projects. yeah but you know it's it's almost like inception right it's like a dream within a dream within a dream and like you've got to be able yeah. to pull yourself out or the matrix and you're taking the blue yeah. pill or the red pill right i mean there's there's some element of that um but so i i the the thing that i learned this year and it's in relation to to this topic right but and i think it's actually very practical um knowledge that you know i i kind of want to pass on if anyone cares right but there's this there's this notion um it's you know certain types of consulting right that um this is our model and if the client doesn't like the model you know we can work around the edges but this is our model and that's kind of how we deliver work and in in this particular case what 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 occurred to me this year as we were negotiating around a particular project this client uh, really was not interested in our approach our model which typically is like a like a fixed fee where you know we will deliver this by this time and um for this rate and if that means that we have to put 40 people in there to do that well that's cuz we didn't really estimate this correctly yeah. um uh, but that that puts all the risk on us and takes it off of the client and they should feel rest assured for this amount you will get x y and z and you know this this particular client um was not interested in that right because the work was i don't want to say it was vague right but the work was uh amorphous right it was it was something that was going to change and there were so many unknown unknowns that it was you couldn't really say this is the deliverable we're going to do this work by this time for this amount and so we went with sort of um like a staff augmentation type uh construct uh which was really really different for for my firm and frankly was sort of I had a lot of hesitation about right because i thought this is not really how we deliver stuff but in this particular construct it actually worked out really well and it's worked out so well um that you know we're we're going into next year with uh, an even more sort of radical uh notion for for my organization and i haven't done this type of thing before with sort of a it's almost like a retainer model right which i find really fascinating and it 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 triggered in me just this idea that like you know what there's some flexibility here that comes with having that level of trust with a client where they say we really want you to help us with this but we know we need to structure it sort of differently um it's just not something i had ever thought of before and so for me that was like a kind of a big learning lesson and so if if you're out there and you're you're used to working on fixed fee or some other construct time and materials whatever it is right i think you know be open to the idea that there are other ways to get the deal done and there are other ways to deliver um you know w- without compromising sort of your your values and your ideals that was sort of my big takeaway for the year
could I tie the two things we were just talking to together? Because Chris, what you learned is something I'm seeing and something I'm bringing into a practice I'm building out about the uh, retainer model. But also you guys talked about, we talked about getting caught up on clients, uh, the concept of insourcing. So you can go in, build the expertise, but then insource, build their organization up internally to where you can back yourself out of a job. Because sometimes that's the value, having paying somebody else to come in to do some of the hard work, lifting thinking and or taking on the risk, sharing the risk. Um, and then once the risk has been identified or mitigated, passing that knowledge on to the organization, but then you can also do that on a retainer as well. Yeah, no, I, yeah. And I think, you know, there's there's other things, right, that begin to sort of trigger, right? And you sort of think like, well, wait a second, maybe we could do like, you know, as a service, right? Um, architecture as a service, <laughs> also known as ass, which um, yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> well, this is, this ace? Is I don't Why know. wouldn't that be ace? I'm just asking for a friend, ace. Side note, that is now my sixth service I'm going to offer. I am off You're going to offer ass, are you? Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. No, you know, it, it just, it just, it makes me think like, you know, hey, there are different ways to deliver and we get caught up in sort of recycling the same approach over and over again. And look, if anything about the past 10 years of in the, in, in, in any of our, the industries, health, like Shashi or FS, where I've been doing a lot of work, right? There, I mean, it's change, right? It's adaptive, it's flexible, it's, it's all of those things that as architects, you, you know, all the illities, right? Um, scalability and, and all, all of those things. Um, so I think you got to be open to sort of changing how you structure a deal. I, I, I don't know. I think it's, um, it's an interesting thing going into 2020, thinking about, okay, well, maybe there are, there are new ways to do things, right? Like, I'll give you another example. A lot of companies, right? McKinsey. Uh, BCG, right? Productizing a bunch of things for subscription model annuities. Who would have thought 20 years ago that a management consulting firm would have a product that you could subscribe to and they get annual revenue out of it? I, I don't know. I just like it's interesting. You're going through it. I'm thinking that I like the theme because it's funny because you think about the new things, productization. I'm actually getting ready to do something as a service for architecture use cases and tying them to the pace layered architecture. And so it's funny that you go through that because there, there are just tons of product models out there um, that can, you can still provide that consulting help or it changes how you consult, um, which ultimately, like you, you, forced, you, you were faced with is I'm going to do a staff hog model. I've never noticed, I've never, we've never seen staff hog, but it's actually seemed to work out in a way that's beneficial for the client of the firm. Well, there's a, there's a difference between staff hog model and, uh, and um, the retainer type of model. Uh, you are, in retainer model, you still will be accountable for something. Um, staff augmentation is they are accountable for uh, the success of the project or the program or the initiatives. But retainer is slightly different, I would say. And the fixed fee is definitely you are accountable for delivering what you are. Yeah, and I, and I think that comes out really, it's like out of this conversation, right? Which is, you know, there are lots of things that we have to be flexible about as we're delivering, how we deliver services, et cetera. But, you know, it is then useful to say, well, what in fact am I anchored to in all of this? And so my thought this year has been, I, I feel like I've been the most help to the folks that I'm working with by offering to them sort of an anchoring philosophy, right? So for me, this year has been, um, you know, leaning into using just 
cardinal virtues and stoic philosophy as a set of ideas just so we know where we're headed and what we're up to and how do we say yes to some things and no to others, right? Is that a selfie with us, a beer bottle and a and Chris and us. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was. Yeah, Excellent. A little selfie, and you know, uh, that'll be, we'll put that on, up on Twitter right away. Can you, if you Photoshop Elizabeth Warren in on that, I think that's the, that gets you the aces there. I mean, 5,000 selfies, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, yeah, that, maybe. Who yeah, knows? I don't know. I, it's not important to me. I'm just saying, yes. um, it's not really a selfie without her. Um, but, uh, you know, I think having an anchoring philosophy. So that idea of like, how, uh, what am I going to do? What are my principles going to be? And something that exists outside the framework of my work, because it's really more about me. How do I achieve significance? How do I lead forward? How do I do what I am doing honorably for these people? Because that stuff, it can be super fluid. Um, so what, where am I headed in all of this mess? That's what I'm thinking, you know, so, uh, you know, and I think it has helped particularly because, um, you know, you've talked about, again, changing business models and, you know, Bill talking about things about where his projects that he wanted to work on is something he decided, no, that's something I got to set aside and go do something else. Um, how do I deal with those difficult moments and how do I maintain me and my identity as I go forward? What am I, what am I going to be? What am I about? Who am I here? What direction is this arrow headed in and i you know it's i think having a anchoring philosophy is useful for that can you can you give us the the five minutes on stoic philosophy for those who might be interested? Yeah. yeah i don't even know if i can do that the thing is there's lots of uh, great materials out there and some of them are thousands of years old so um you know but if you you know if you read epictetus you know so i'm you know this year i've spent a lot of time diving into all of this, right? So I'm reading Epictetus, I'm reading Seneca, you know, I've, uh, I've read Marcus Aurelius's meditation. So those are all things that I'm reading now, right? And I've been, or I've been through this year. Um, and so I'm just using those as sort of anchoring principles for, okay, if I'm a guy who believes in wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice, how does that show up? You know, how do I act fairly to others? How do I do what I do with wisdom, right? What does that mean? Um, you know, quite frankly, an important thing, and I think about this is super important for folks who are in consulting or folks who are out on the edges. How do I act with courage? Because there's a lot of times I'm afraid to figure out what comes next or afraid to ask a hard question. How do I act with courage in that situation? Oh, and then temperance, temperance is a fourth one, Chris, but I'm not sure how you feel about that. Yeah, you know, temperance is not one that... Um... <laughs> Uh, not everybody spends as much time on that. If it, if it could be like a like a cafeteria stoic, right, where I could pick and choose, yeah, um, yeah that, that might work yeah. better for me. One from column A, one from column B. Forget the, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's it. And the thing is, there's just a lot of difficulty, a lot of uncertainty. But how will I decide what I am going to do? How can I deal with the difficulty and disappointment? And you know, courage. I love this. You know, it, the idea of, you know, and I know it's a thing, this is a thing that you and I, Chris, have both practiced some this year, but 
and we've done bouts of intermittent fasting, right? So part of that is, you know, I'm going to go and I'm not going to eat for 48 hours or 60 hours or whatever that number is for you. But part of that was just to get over the fear of saying, well, what's going to happen if I miss a meal? Am I going to be cranky? Is this, you know, what, what's going to go on? And you realize that uh, it was never as bad as you thought it was going to be, right? I mean, and so you learn to deal with adversity. So when other things come at you and you're stuck in some spot and, you know, you don't, you know, I don't get to eat, I don't get to drink, or maybe I don't get to go to the bathroom. The question is, how bad is that going to be? And am I willing to say to myself, you know what? I mean, this is just what it is and what's going to happen here. I'll, I'll just deal with it when it comes. So how, do, how does that... As it, how does that come into play with, you know, some of the things that Bill was talking about, some of the things Shosh, you know, Bill was talking about, you know, um, sort of unexpected discoveries with, you know, uh, babies, right, projects, um, and having to, call it, having to call your baby ugly, right? There's that sort of thing. Then Shashi dealing with, like, transformation within his organization and some of the struggles that go along with that. And then my own sort of personal realization of like, you know, it doesn't always have to be the way we've always done it, right? We can do things differently. How, do, how, does, that, how does that grounding philosophy sort of play into those, those things? Yeah, so let me say, I won't know that I can keep track of all at the same time, but let's start with like just the Shashi thing, right? So there's this unexpected, you know, there are changes here. In Shashi's phase, if I were dealing with that spot, you know, a thing, and I'm not saying I wouldn't have that first bit. And so Senec or Stoic philosophies would say, look, I could be at first flush. I am dealing with this at an emotional level, but I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to let that subside. I'm going to deal with this at the intellectual level, right? So I'm going to move from the lizard brain to the sapien brain, the wise ape, right? I'm going to be that one. And when I move to that level, right, I'm going to go back and say, I have complete control over me and I have no control over the environment or my client or what they're thinking. I can influence them. I can do my very best, but the outcome is what it is. And I don't, I don't get to, I don't get to do that. I can, I can do my very best. I will train, but I have to know that my reserve clause, and this is what stoicism calls it. The reserve clause is I'm not responsible for the outcome. I can't be. I'm responsible for me. I'm not responsible for the outcome. I can't be. So, so worry about things that you can control? You know, and I, again, a thing that people probably heard much more frequently than they've heard of stoicism is the serenity prayer, right? You know, give me control over the stuff I can control over. Let me do that. Do well with that. Let me accept the things I can't control and the wisdom to know the difference. And the wisdom of stoicism is knowing the difference. Right, and knowing that I have control over me, but I don't have control over them, and that's the way it's going to be. I thought the serenity thing was like Frank Costanza, like serenity now. Yeah, that's the other serenity prayer. That's the new version. Yeah. By the way, happy Festivus. Um, I think Festivus. It's coming. It's coming soon. Right? <laughs> I got to talk about all my problems with you people. Um, but it's yeah. Monday. It's Monday. <laughs> let me ask. A, let me ask a slightly different question. Were there? Were there any lowlights? What was the? Was there anything? Well. Or, or is, there, is there something that you're looking forward to in 2020 that maybe is, um, you know, maybe that's the positive up note as opposed to like, wow, this thing really sucked. Um, what, what's, uh, I don't know, would you guys have either one of those? Bill, what you got? You have a, a low light or something you're looking forward to or something? Maybe it's both. Yeah, a bit of, I don't want to say a bowl low light, but it's interesting the situation I'm in right now trying to figure out how to navigate it going forward. So 2020 is gonna be interesting because that's when the outcome's gonna happen. 
something's going to happen with the platform I built, something's going to happen in other areas. And right now, it's not quite sure what it looks like because it is a bit of an experimentation phase. Um, so it is, I would say, uh, I don't want to say hesit hesitation is not the word, but it'll be interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's 2020 is going to see what's, what's going to be the outcome of the past two years of work. How is this asset, what I've done, what I've built in a couple different areas? How is this going to now come to fruition as far as um, whether it's revenue or um, uh, reputation, whatever it may be? Uh, how is this, how am I going to control what I can control? Going back to sort of the, uh, the stoic philosophy and then be okay with the things that I cannot control. Makes sense to me. I mean, you know, for my part, I'm really fascinated by sort of some of the changes that I, I talked about earlier in, in how we approach our clients and, um, and build them, right, and deliver work for them and, and trying out some of these other things. I'm really fascinated by this idea of architecture as a service, um, not like an individual contributor type of thing, but like as, as a firm, is there enough of a, a practice, a, like a discipline, a thing that you could, you could offer as a service, um, almost, almost as, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I find, I know that I know people are experimenting with, it. I know there's some stuff out there. You see it on LinkedIn, but I've never thought about it within the context of like a management consulting firm. Right. It's, it's oh, I, I, I am using it right now. So when I, it was my client, we, uh, uh, we are proposing an enterprise architecture work, but, uh, you know, some of the leaders did not buy into that idea. Um, but, uh, they retained me and we are right now providing architecture as a service to them. And I've seen that in the past. It's fairly successful. It's not an ivory tower thing, but at the same time, it works well for them. So I think if you use this as an offering within your firm, uh, that will be successful. And given the rates and all which these consulting firms charge, it becomes more attractive when you give them a bucket of hours where they can call you for the review and all those things rather than you hanging in there uh, for 40 hours a week and probably not doing anything for at least 20 hours. 40 hours a week? <laughs> I mean, that's what they pay for. They don't pay for, I mean, it depends on the firms. Sometimes you just maximum, you put 40 hours. Although you don't work, you always work 70, 60, 80 hours. Are you looking forward to something in 2020 or you have something in 2019 that you really want to leave in 2019? Yeah, I left something in 2019 and I'm going to pick it up after two and a half, three years. I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, 2020, I'm looking forward to two things on a personal front. Um, are we allowed to talk personal stuff here? I Why mean, not? Okay. So I don't, I mean, you know, to your point in the, in the pre-roll, I don't know if anyone cares about our personal stuff, but you know. If this yeah. is about the rash though, right? Yes. So I have to, I have to, I have to get it out. So I'm excited about, um, there is something which got resolved. So there was a lot of excitement happened in 2019 on the personal front. Uh, for my daughter's Taekwondo career. Um, she was identified as a, as a talent who can compete at the national level uh, by one world-class athlete who has won four world championships and one coach who handpicked her uh, while she was in a seminar. Uh, and she said that I can make her a champion. They, they came to us. We didn't go, we, we didn't go to them. Uh, and, the, uh, and so I'm excited about that. So hopefully we'll kickstart that journey and uh, I'm going to look forward to supporting her, uh, get some of her punches uh, uh, on me. She practices on me, some of those. So I'm excited about that front. Um, everything else comes secondary. I'm so, very excited about it because I, I work with her on that. So I think this, that's, that's fantastic, Joshi. It's fantastic. And I think this is awesome. an, 
this is a great moment to remind everyone that Bill was an MMA fighter at one point. Oh, you were? Oh my God, really? Go YouTube Bill Bensing MMA. You'll find some. Posts. Oh my God. On the professional front, there are two things. One is uh, the turnaround, uh, which got started this year within my current firm. A lot of changes are happening. Uh, I'm going to stick around to see how those changes take into effect, and uh, if I can find the right place where I can make an, you know, influence a part of my firm. Uh, that is there. There are three proposals I'm working on right now um, in the month of December, and I knocked all of them out of the park when I uh, presented it to my client. They said I want this guy, so I'm really looking forward to those projects uh, to be executed for my client next year. Um, so those are a few things, and I'll again, as I said earlier, right? Uh, I am a strategic thinker for my client as far as my career goes. I am a little more, uh, you know, I want to see what uh, things unfold. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm looking forward to something interesting. I, I looked at my horoscope, not me, my wife. Um, I'm not into that. She said like, this is uh, the best part of my life or career over the next few years. I, and I hope we do some stand up uh, in 2020. We so, should do a virtual stand up. Wait a second. Hold on. Time out. So stand up comedy? Stand, you yeah, stand, stand up, up comedy. Yes. I have a script sitting. My first script is sitting. I just need to have the courage as Phil said to go ahead and just do it. So when you go to Orlando, I'll meet you out there and we can find like an open mic night and we can practice. Yeah. That's something funny. I don't think people, I don't think viewers have met. Not all of us have actually met in person. Only yes. Smith is the only person to ever meet everybody on here in person. Is that correct? I am the only one to ever meet yeah. all of y'all in person. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, that's all for around me. the various prisons yeah. visiting us periodically. Uh, home arrest is really a terrible thing. It's kept a lot of us from meeting each other. And uh, now that, um, you know, hopefully some of us will make parole and we can go out and see each other. <laughs> the, the, uh, the ankle bracelet, the ankle bracelet. Yeah. Yeah, the we, have to do, we have to do fund, fundraiser for them. Yeah. Kickstarter. It's sell, actually a sell. Kickstarter. I was thinking it, it sounded to me like Shashi's wife was just trying to increase her insurable interest in him and, you know, figure out you know the next few years are going to be really good and right now if she's trying to get you short-term life insurance it's not a good sign i'm just telling you that's uh <laughs> it's not a good plan um and but i you know what i think the stand-up thing would be kind of fun i um i probably told you that i've done this before and uh it's a uh, it is you really have to have a lot of courage and it really is courage. I mean, you know, and in my case, it was standing in front of a room of 450 or so people who mostly didn't know me. And I'm not used to that. You know, I'm usually in front of friendly audiences, but it was really something to stand in front of a room of people who I was between them and what they paid for. And, uh, you know, I had to make them laugh. Otherwise they'd have just thrown a bottle at me, but it's, it is a, it's an invigorating experience. No doubt about it. Uh, is uh is r2d2 alive there what's going on yeah if you take a real good close look he's uh i think he, i don't know if he's following i think he follows my voice that's probably what it is but yes that's, as, uh, as do we all phil as yeah, do yes that's it, that it is yeah he's a faithful follower and uh, much easier to clean up after than a dog um so very happy with my uh, R2-D2 there. Yeah, I love that. You can see his head just spinning around. Yeah. How about how about 2020 then? Or is there something so, in 2019 that you don't want to talk about ever again? <laughs> no. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've really had a good year. And I think that is setting us up for a really good 2020. You know, we got to, 
you know, my big thing, of course, is how do we have success with Tech After Five? We've had a couple, we've run a couple of interesting experiments this year. You know, we've, uh, you know, we ran uh, Bangalore at the beginning of the year. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, Tech After Five Little Rock has really benefited from what we learned out of uh, Bangalore. And so the neat thing is we're running Tech After Five events that I cannot travel to. I cannot supervise. So it's me managing, you know, or coordinating with a remote team in order to successfully run an event. And we're just super excited about how that's come. And so now that gives us the opportunity to go run a few more cities this year. So, you know, my big thing is how do I expand the reach of uh, what we do? And part of that is, you know, we've certainly, I've gotten to meet a bunch of new people by doing this podcast with you guys. And it's not just meeting, you know, the two new guys. It's, of course, I know Chris already, but meeting the two new guys, but all the folks that we get to talk to in the audience who love this. I mean, I get people coming up to me at Tech After Five every month and they go, I saw you on that Consultant Saying Thing podcast. I really enjoy this conversation. And I, to me, it's like, oh my God, this is, we're the luckiest cats in the world. It's four guys sitting around talking about what we would talk about anyway, having a good time. And there are other people who are learning something or enjoying that conversation. So that's super fun. You know, I'm doing the Tech After Five podcast. We're getting good feedback on that. We're really helping some folks with it. So our plan is to vastly improve that or vastly increase the reach of that for next year. You know, my goal for 2019 was to be in 50 podcasts. So I've got the, that would, by the time we're done here, we'll have 24 of these. I've got 20 some of the ones that I did for Tech After Five as well. And then I have done guest stints on a number of other shows as well that worked out really well. So I've hit that objective. You know, I'm increasing, by the way, one of the things I'm excited about for next year is we're, um, you know, through our mastermind process, we're implementing uh, OKRs, objectives and key results, the same planning mechanism that Google and other big organizations use. So in my OKR, you know, one of the things in there, one of my key results is 50 of my podcasts out for next year, right, of the Tech After Five podcast. So if I get to do 12 of these and 50 of those, you know, again, that's just increasing the number of opportunities we have to talk to people. So, uh I'm, uh, I'm very excited about what we're pulling off there. So all of my big initiatives are headed in the right direction. Um, we just want to reach and help more people who are tech folks. And uh, that's where I'm headed with it. So at the, at the risk of, um, well, I got blurry there for a second. <laughs> yeah. Not just to us, but to you. <laughs> I thought maybe it was my eyes. No. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which fill? The fill on the left or the fill on the right? Um, hey, so so, can, hey, Phil, at the risk of like um, overly self-promoting some of this stuff, can you can you give the the people who are listening that may not have already heard what what is Tech After Five? Yeah, so we're a series of live after-hours networking events aimed primarily at IT professionals and the people who love them, right? So we're doing these events in multiple cities, primarily in the southeast of the U.S., um, but we're open to doing it in a whole bunch of other places. Now it's via a license model. Here's the thing. We've been doing it for 11 years. We're putting somewhere between 75 and 125 people in a room every month in every city. And we are doing that so that we bring the tech community together so they can share ideas among themselves and be in their peers. Um, it's partly that, but there are other things. You might be looking for a job. You might be looking for an investor. You might be looking for a marketing partner. You might be looking for a business partner. Um, we try to help that happen through uh, some super powerful facilitated networking. And again, we're doing it in multiple cities. The thing I'm open to at this moment 
if you're not coming to one, please come to one. If you are, um, you know, interested in trying to launch something like this in your own city, um, we're we're running those experiments. So if you're the right person for doing that, we'd like to help you run it in your town. I, I think I think you left out the most important part, Phil. There's free beer, is there not? You know, one of the here's one of the tricks. We are asking IT professionals to perform an unnatural act, and that is talk to each other in a social setting. So the way I trick them and to do that is uh, I offer them a free beer and that's the way it works. I gotta tell you, um, two years ago when, you know, I think Phil, you and I were smoking a cigar maybe around Christmas actually. Um, maybe it's three years ago, I don't know. It's some period of time ago. And we said, you know, I, I, was, I was talking to you and I, I just published my book, uh, The People Problem which if you haven't bought a copy, you should go to Amazon right now and, and look up the people problem. We were sitting around and I was, I was saying, you know, there are all of these topics, Phil, that like are, are, are uh, fascinating to me. Um, and I enjoy having conversations with other professionals uh, that are usually smarter than I am that have like lots of things to say about stuff. And you said, you said, you I'm going to, I'm going to do my best imitation of you. You said, you know, I think you should do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, when my kids imitate me, I sound like Huckleberry Hound. I think yours was a little better on. I think that was spot on. It sounded a little more like somewhere between Bart and Lisa, but uh, it was much better than Huckleberry Hound. Um, but, you know, so two years go by, 24 episodes, each one 30 to 40 minutes. Um, what most people don't know is there's at least another 40 or 50 minutes of unused video. So trash talk, <laughs> mostly trash talk, <laughs> mostly, wait, what are we going to talk about? What is this thing? Where's Bill? Why isn't he online? <laughs> you know, that's Shashi. What's wrong with your microphone? Right. It's that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, there's, <laughs> there's lots of content and I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative that you guys have, have, um, continue to have these conversations with me because I think, I think they're interesting. I think, you know, they, they can vary in degrees of how practical the, the conversation is, but I think, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me. I got to tell you, when I'm editing these things, I like watching them and maybe I'm the only one, but like, man, I, I find it fascinating stuff. So listen, guys, I appreciate it. Um, you know, Merry Christmas, happy holidays. I'm glad that we had an opportunity to connect. Um, and you know, look, here's to, you know, another year of, uh, of learning stuff and having good conversations with, uh, smart people. So appreciate it. Phil Yanoff, Shashi Shramali, Bill Bensing. Thank you guys. And, uh, thanks to all the viewers out there. Go check out YouTube consultants saying things, go find the website, just Google it. It's pretty obvious. It's pretty straightforward. And, uh, you know, like some stuff and send us some comments and subscribe to the damn YouTube channel. That would be good also. So uh, thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, viewers. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you all next year.